Hi, my name is Alad Gross. Welcome to the Alad Pod, an online, uncensored town hall program designed to bring our government back to you. Every episode is a recording of our live show with special guests and questions asked by audience members like you. Today, we speak with Cindy Slim, a candidate for Missouri House of Representatives District 133, which is in the Springfield area. We talk about what her priorities are for the office, what led her to run in the first place, and how campaigning has changed during COVID-19. Hello, Sydney. Can you hear us? Yes, I can. How are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Could you let everybody know where you are right now? Um, I am in my home in Springfield, Missouri, uh, southwest Springfield, um, Battlefield area. Um, I've been working from home for a couple uh-huh. of months now, and I'm a little tired of this room. <laughs> Yeah. But I'm so happy to be here with you and and with um, other people from Missouri and and to talk about you know your campaign and my campaign and get some action going. Yeah, yeah. I think it's is this. Um, I know there's the uh, what's the Twitter the rate my rate my Zoom room. I think it is. Is this your standard Zoom room? It is. Yeah. And I actually I just put up curtains because it's so blinding. <laughs> but, Depending times of the day, uh-huh. I, I hung curtains. Okay, wait. So I'm gonna, I, you know, I'm gonna do a thing. I'm gonna blow up the video for you so that everybody can see. I'm gonna do it right now. They can still hear me, of course. But <laughs> but tell us, like, why have you set up the room? Why is this your Zoom room? Why is this one in? You know, I I have done some other Zoom meetings where other people sat outside, and I, it looked really awesome, and I want to do that too. But now it's kind of gotten hot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've got a family. I've got a dog that barks at the wind. Uh, my cat insisted on being in here for this meeting today. Uh, yeah. So this is just kind of my go-to. I've got my whole office set up going on. I've got my, my boyfriend's office set up. He's working on his doctorate oh. uh, currently. And so this is just kind of the room where the business happens. That's great. Okay. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's good because you don't have to move so much. you got all your stuff right there. It's pretty great. Um, right. what, what is your, what is your boyfriend's doctorate going to be in? Um, it's, uh, <laughs> medical. Um, okay. he, he, he works at Cox and he is working in medical administration and, um, uh, medical research. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh yeah. One of, one of the smart people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, let us know. So you're running for house district one thirty three, right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. All right. Tell us, so, you know, there's, there might be some folks who are watching who don't, you know, we know about Congress, we know about the president, we often don't know about attorney general, we often know about governor and maybe even lieutenant governor, state representative. It's a very important position. Uh, it's one that makes a whole lot of impact in our, our, our lives. Tell us, um, wh- why are you running for state representative in the wonderful state of Missouri? 
gosh, for the longest time, I didn't realize how impactful local government was. And, and, and that goes down even, you know, to city level, county level. Um, but I decided to run, um, because I really didn't feel like I'm represented represented by our current representative. Um, he is on his second term and he's uh, now running to be the house majority speaker, but the, the type of legislation that he uh, presents to the Missouri house and the type of representation or the type of bills that he votes for in the Missouri house don't really represent people as much as they represent businesses. Mm-hmm. And while I am a strong supporter of, of small businesses and businesses in general, I think your primary goal, like your primary job is to represent the constituents who vote you in office, not the people who donate the most to your campaign. So um, I'm all about ethics reform. I'm all about transparency and sunshine laws and um, accountability for, um, for the things that you do while you're in office. And, um, so that's kind of, kind of what pushed me over the edge to decide to run back in 2018. Um, I had a sit down with Chris Quaid and she talked to me about it and, um, it, it sounded terrifying and exciting, both at the same time. I just, I, I want to make positive impact on the people that live in my community. Yeah. Well, that's that's a very good reason to get involved in government. So for all of you out there who want to do that, you know, I, I wonder, so, you know, a lot of folks, they'll come from it from, you know, maybe a, a profession standpoint and they, they saw something and, you know, it was interesting. So Dave Gregg, who we did a town hall with, he's running in uh, the Springfield area too, uh, Republic and all of that. Um, you know, he had this journalism background and it was interesting because we talked a lot about the Sunshine Law. And the Sunshine Law, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is the public records transparency law for Missouri. There's a federal version called FOIA that you might have heard of, Freedom of Information Act. We have a, a similar one. It needs to be stronger, but we have a similar one uh, in Missouri that came about because um, out of the uh, President Nixon administration we needed some transparency in our government so i you know i wonder how you know what what do you think has shaped the values um that you have that you want to take to jefferson city as a state representative gosh um good question right i try to bring the good ones so <laughs> well honestly 100 percent growing up poor mm. um I, I grew up poor with a single mom. Um, she raised three kids, uh, mostly by herself. You know, we lived with my grandma and grandpa for several years when we were incredibly fortunate to have that opportunity. A lot of people don't have family that they can lean on. And I am so blessed. My mom, you know, she taught us right from wrong when I was a kid. Um, she explained to me when I was four years old what a transgender person was. In Joplin, Missouri, you know, 1980. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, uh, I've just always, uh, I've just always been a person who feels like if things aren't fair, things aren't right. And I want to be the person who makes sure that things are equal and fair. And, and I don't, I don't think that our government's doing that uh, on many, many, many levels, you know, whether it be, um, income inequality, um, access to healthcare, access to food, access to education. Um, 
equal rights for LGBTQ people. Um, and I, I just, I'm the kind of person who, if things aren't fair, things aren't right. And I, I want to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for, for doing it. So you are, uh, you ran in 2018, um, Mm -hmm. and you're running now, um, have, you know, has, has anything changed, I guess, since then? Have, has anything in, in terms of your motivation? Obviously, you decided to do it again. A lot of people don't, right? I've had a lot of friends who I recruited to run, and uh, it's tough. And it, it was hard, and they felt like they didn't have as much support as they, they needed, and, you know, they're, they're done. Um, you're, you're back. You're back for more. Um, what, what, what is bringing you back, um, and, and are there things that you are doing differently now than you did last time? Oh my, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, I, I honestly like here, here in, uh, green County, we got a lot of support from the green County democratic party. I got a lot of support from volunteers. I got a lot of part, uh, support from the state democratic party. Um, I, I, I have an amazing campaign manager and I have an amazing treasurer and both of them just, you know, have busted their buns and, and the volunteers as well. It's, I, I, I can't, I can't explain how appreciative I am of everything that they've done. Um, things are definitely different now because of COVID. Um, we had started uh, back in February, late February, knocking on doors and registering voters and talking to people. And um, things came to a screeching halt where you can't knock on doors anymore. Um, we've got a postcard campaign and Right now, in all honesty, it's very difficult to raise money for a campaign. And you have to have money, especially now, because knocking on doors is free, but mailing things is not. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we're, we're putting off any more of the uh, postcards and direct mail. And I'm about to start, uh, I'm working on a literature piece, so we can start doing lit drops again. Um, there's no face-to-face contact, but... Um, the last time around, I, I left a phone number, my phone number. And, you know, if you have any questions, please give me a call. And the last piece that we sent out was asking people if they needed any help. Do you need groceries? Do you need, um, somebody to do run an errand for you? Are you health compromised? Um, and this was, this was back in March and, um, I got some phone calls back and I talked to some constituents and that was, it, it always makes me feel so good when someone reaches out um, because a lot of people just ignore right. the pieces that they get. But so, right, you know, right now we're focused on phone banks, um, reaching out to voters in the, in the district uh, via phone. Um, and, you know, we're about to start um, doing lit drops. Yeah. So oh, yeah. last, last time around at this time, you know, we were, knocking on 300 doors a week and or more and and now that that's it's just uh, yeah very but i'm still excited i still want to win i i i want to win yeah i'm gonna win and the benefit <laughs> i mean the there you go uh and, and the benefit for you is that since you did this before um at least you have knock doors, right? You didn't do it like, you know, right before this one, but, uh, it wasn't too long ago. So that's, you know, something positive, I guess, out of having run before too. Uh, yeah. 
because people know you, you know? Yeah. And it's my favorite thing to do. I would much yeah. rather talk to somebody face to face than, you know, have a, have an online, uh, Facebook conversation or a private conversation mm-hmm. via email or even over the phone. I just, you, you lose so much of communication when you're not face to face talking to somebody. Right. Right. Um, and you did mention, you know, stuff, this stuff costs money. And, and so there, you have a website that folks can go on and they can help you out. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's cindyslimp.org, right? That's correct. Wow. It's on the screen. How in the world did that happen? Yeah. It's right there. Wow. How did we do that? Yeah. It's also, if you're watching, uh, uh, on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, whatever, there's also a link right there too. So it's a little bit easier to press than, you know, pretending to press this one, but those are the words for you, the letters. So you can spell it out, type it right in. Uh, yeah, so you can go to the website and find ways to support um, and contact you over there too. So, um, yeah, no, that's 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 great. Um, so I know we've got we've got some folks who are watching. Sabrina's watching. Oh, great! How are you doing? Good to see you. Uh, and uh, Dr. Engelhart's on too. So that's great. He's got he's got a question. Um, we are definitely going to get to it, and it's interesting because I discussed that a little bit earlier today on a different um, town hall. Um, so I think we'll have a good discussion about it, but before we get there, um, I want to see, you know, for you, um, you know, there's a lot happening in Missouri. There's a lot happening in America right now. And I wonder for, for you, for, you know, have starting the campaign, having run before right here and looking at what's going on for your district, what are the issues that you are seeing, um, that is top priority for, uh, the folks that you would, like to represent? Uh, moreover, uh, today and historically, it's education and healthcare. Mm-hmm. Access to healthcare, um, primarily access to healthcare and um, education. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there, like you said, there's a whole lot going on in the world right now. There's a whole lot going on in Springfield and in the state of Missouri right now. Um, you know, we're seeing. A, an uprise and a and a an issue with um, criminal justice reform, systemic racism coming to a head, finally. Um, but here for my district, I'm not so sure that that is is a is a top issue. Um, one of my big goals in in being in office is to expand access to healthcare. I helped um, get Medicaid expansion on the ballot. And that's going to be um, in, on the August ballot here in Spring or in the state of Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's absolutely crucial that Medicaid expansion passes. This should have happened back in 2016. We have the money. We've got over 2.7 billion dollars sitting at the federal government of money that we've paid in as taxpayers, waiting for us to take it and to give people health care. Um, it, it's 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 just absolutely necessary. People who don't have health insurance are, and this might sound cruel, but it's more expensive for people who do have health insurance to cover people who don't have health insurance. Mm-hmm. And us not having expanded Medicaid, we've closed 14 rural hospitals in the state of Missouri because they end up going bankrupt. Um, and that's that's those hospitals are detrimental to people in rural areas, especially, um, you know, in the middle of the state and down in the southern, uh, eastern part of the state. Right. So 
you know, even though those people uh, might not, the, the most effective people might not be in my district, they still matter to me. And I want to make sure that they can have the health care that they need. Um, education, we've cut millions and millions of dollars from education over the last four years. Um, and a large part of that is because we've cut the corporate tax rate. Um, Governor Parson posted an article yesterday about how Missouri is now one of the best places to open a corporation. And, and that's largely because the corporate tax rate is 0.2%. The money has to come from somewhere for, for these social programs uh, to be able to, to help people. And so now with COVID and um, uh, needing to, to make way for monies to be available for, um, for testing and whatnot, We've cut another $200 million from the public education system, and that's K-12 schools. So every time education is the first place to get cut, and that's the very last place that we should take money from because if our kids aren't educated, they're our future. If our kids aren't educated, we lose hope. I lose hope. Right, right. Yeah, a state full of uh, uh, well-supported corporations and non-supported kids doesn't seem to be the the right way to go. Um, doesn't seem to serve anybody really at that point. Um, yeah, you talk, so you, so you talked, um, about Medicaid expansion that will be on the ballot on August 4th. So during the primary, um, you know, folks are like, Oh, is it, you know, we, we got it. It's going to be on the general election in November. Um, it was moved to the primary. That was a decision made by the governor. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, some folks thought that that was a political decision. Uh, he said, well, we need to, to get this done earlier so that we can, we can plan for it. I mean, whatever. All right, let's you know, pass, it, pass it earlier. That's fine. Um, it's, it's important because, you know, I, I, and there are studies out there that have shown, you know, Medicaid expansion, um, which many states have done, um, can, can save Missouri uh, money and I mean, just like you mentioned, money is, is is getting very short in Missouri for for a lot of reasons. Some manufactured and some, um, you know, because of the the disaster that we're facing right now. Um, but uh, Medicaid, you know, there 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 are lots of studies about oh reimbursement rates and how folks are now going to be covered. Uh, so would expand healthcare coverage for two hundred thousand plus is the estimate of uh, the most vulnerable. Missourians in our state, um, which allows folks to access substance abuse treatment, um, preventive care, all these things that that can really save us money in in many different areas, including in the justice system, including in the court system where uh, we've got hospitals now that have no choice but to go after uninsured people to try to make them get on a payment plan that they can never afford. Um, We've got courts that are just full of people. Um, So yeah, it, it certainly seems to make uh, a whole lot of sense. Um, and so they, yeah, that, that vote will be on August 4th on the primary. So, um, you could vote for that then. Right. And, and in addition to that, um, with the, uh, with, you know, COVID-19, we have, mm-hmm. uh, our state house has passed the ability to vote from home, um, but you have to, um, qualify for certain certain uh, reasons why you should be able to vote from home. And I think all of us should be actively calling the governor 
Um, I do it on the regular. Call the, call the governor, let him know we need access to be able to vote from home safely, mm-hmm. even if we're not a person who is at risk. It, it doesn't apply to people who uh, say, say that I'm not an at-risk uh, person, but I live with a person who's at risk. Yeah. I don't qualify to automatically be able to, to vote from home. And the military has been doing this for over 200 years. The president does it. His entire family does it. Our elected officials do it. There's no reason why we shouldn't all be able to vote from home safely. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are, are several states that have implemented this statewide, no problem. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's... Yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons why people don't want folks to vote. But yes, uh, uh, the legislature did pass, and the governor did sign. He had to wait until after this municipal election we just had, because otherwise the law would have applied to that election, uh, and <laughs> and the the local election authorities would have had very little time to get prepared for it. So um, at least now they they do, um, and we we have a website that we put up. Um, called VoteMissouri.org, uh, where folks can go and you can actually apply for absentee ballots uh, electronically. Um, so it lets you sign online uh, or um, you can actually upload a signature on a piece of paper. You just write it out and you can use your phone. So VoteMissouri.org, it's undergoing some changes now uh, because the law has changed and there will eventually be some video tutorials, probably right from this desk, about how you can vote uh, absentee, um, and the deadlines and everything else are on there. It's a really good resource. It also has the contact information for all the local election authorities around the state. So you can contact them directly to see, you know, which excuse is okay. But yes, there is a new seventh excuse now that does not require a notary that applies during, uh, the coronavirus outbreak. It is very limited in terms of who it applies to. Um, so, and it doesn't, you know, it includes some folks who have some pre-existing conditions, but not even all of them that uh, are are warning signs that the CDC has put out there for folks who are in an at-risk population. So, and you're totally right. It does not include anybody. I mean, if you're living with somebody who is at risk, um, it's not really included in there. There is another excuse that has been on the books for a while, and that um, is actually in court right now that would allow everybody to vote absentee without requiring a notary. That is commonly understood as on the list as excuse number two, uh, confinement due to illness. And that one allows folks who are taking care of somebody who is confined to uh, also vote um, absentee without a notary. But it's not clear that that applies to folks. For example, if you work in a, in a nursing home, um, right. there's that we didn't, I guess we just didn't think about that for some reason, despite the fact that we were all talking about it. So, um, yeah. Uh, and it did expand mail in voting for everybody. Um, so everybody could vote by mail, but you'll need a notary. And that's the big problem is that there is a hang up on being able to access a notary. There really aren't enough notaries in the state to, uh, right. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, and then, um, and it, it, are, are you going to be able to access a notary for free? Right. Or are you going to have to pay for it? You should never have to pay to vote. Correct. Yeah. So. Yeah. You should not. And and for so for notaries, so the notary will not be able to, to under the law, um, at least for and this is what there's a lot of legal research being done right now. But at least for absentee ballots, they cannot charge you money. But okay. now that we expand the mail in voting side of it, 
there is a question there about whether they can or they cannot um, because it wasn't very explicit in what we passed. There is some provision that makes me think that they still cannot, and I think a lot of notaries, they won't think that there is a difference because they're trained to not do that anyway. Uh, but if you go to a bank, I know a lot of banks um, in, in the state are doing uh, notaries using the, uh, what the heck, the, the pneumatic, uh, uh, whatever, the suction thing, the thing you put, you put the rolling thing and you shoot it up there. Um, so some of them are doing that uh, through the drive-thru. Like through the drive-thru? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Yep, some banks are doing that. So if you call ahead and check it out, I know uh, Warrensburg, um, Raymond was talking about them doing that. If you're watching, let us know if it's still going on. But I know he mentioned it. And then I think um, some bank branches, like some bank branches have said, hey, this is what we're doing. So we want to want to help folks out. Um, yeah, we've also expanded. We expanded the electronic. This stuff gets so complicated. It really didn't need to be. It should have just been very simple and you can vote, right. do it safely. Um, oh, but we don't want everybody to vote, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do. Um, you do. We do. I do. We're just, you know, we're not in charge yet, so you all have to fix that and vote. You know, make <laughs> change that whole thing because this is a this is a freaking mess. And you know, it, it wouldn't be one. I mean, if you look at it, the governor could have easily done this even without the legislature because we gave him emergency powers to look at parts of statutes and even suspend them if he needs to because of the emergency. Uh, one would think protecting the fundamental right to vote, kind of that really basic thing in a democracy to make sure it functions, um, would, would, would qualify for him saying, oh, yeah, still you have to fill out all this information. Still we're going to verify your identity. We're going to do all these things, but uh, you don't need a notary, just like these other excuses that say you don't need one. I mean, we can right. do it. So, yeah, un- unfortunately, we've created a, a bit of a mess, but at least it's – it's better than nothing, I suppose. But, um, you know, unfortunately, we're very used to getting nothing in this state. So <laughs> anything looks good. It's sad. Yeah, it's sad. So that's what we're trying to fix here. Um, okay, so so healthcare, very important. Uh, Medicaid expansion will be on the ballot August 4th. Um, I also help collect signatures, so I'm a little bit biased. But, yeah, I, I'm, I, I recommend it, too. Um, and then ed- education. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's so interesting because, um, you know, I don't know I, what, what does it look like in your area now that we've moved away from kids getting, to, you know, going to schools, like now they're at home so much. Um, what, what has been the impact of that on families in your district? Um, have there been any difficulties, do you know, um, you know, going electronic, especially with, you know, internet access issues or anything else like that? Absolutely. Um, if you don't have uh, you know, access to internet at home, there's, there's problem number one, but problem number, number, number one is that if you were, uh, you know, one of the people that still had to continue to work every single day, what do you do with the kids? Mm-hmm. That's number, number one. Um, not, you know, again, going back to, to my childhood, not everybody has family that they can rely on in order to um, help them take care of the kids. And who are going to be the people that do take care of the kids? Is it going to be grandparents? Because they're at risk. Um, we just we don't have safety in place in order for people to, to be taken care of in a situation like this. And I 
I am incredibly fortunate and I'm incredibly privileged to have had a workplace that's let me work from home for the last two months. And they even extended it because I have a child and, and I don't want to take her to, you know, to a, a summer program because I don't feel that it's safe. So, um, I, I again, I'm incredibly fortunate. I'm blessed and, and thankful. Um, yeah. The, the impact on so many families. I've I've spoken to so many people that, um, that you know, where is my unemployment check? Where's my money? I'm sitting here. I don't have groceries. Um, I I spoke to an employer uh, for a restaurant here in town who was concerned about. He was okay. He was doing all right, but he was really worried about one of his employees, who, you know, the poor guy. Um, he has has a couple of kids. Um, with a couple of different moms and his paycheck is, is already pretty much deteriorated from, from um, child support. Mm -hmm. And, and then when he loses that and then, you know, he gets a stimulus check and then a stimulus check got hit for the child support. He's sitting there with nothing. And while I'm a strong advocate for women and, you know, people feeding their kids and, and men taking care of the children that they produce and, and women as well. Um, we just 100% we, Missouri, the state of Missouri was not prepared. The state of Missouri did not take precautions to help protect people, to help protect families, to help protect kids, to help protect senior citizens who were going to be the most vulnerable. And, there are so many changes that need to be made. It's, it's defeating and, and, and it, you know, it makes me angry and that's what, that's what I'm doing. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a complicated system that we've built that unfortunately really impacts. It is, it is very expensive to be poor. And exactly. Exactly. It's far more expensive to be poor than it is to have money. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we've we've really got I mean, when we're talking about so many of the issues that we're seeing now, so much links back to this inequity of opportunity. And, you know, what 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 does it mean? You know, what is fairness? Right. Basic fairness in our society is so important because it means that what we're doing as a government is legitimate. Like, the, is, is the government working for we the people? And that's always been the question in the history of our country. And uh, it's, it's tough to look now oftentimes and, and ask that question and, and look at what bills are being passed, what policies are being made, what executive you know, decisions are. And you just wonder, like, is that, really, is that really for us? Like, who is that for? And I think you, know, you, have, you have a perfect example you were talking about. The, the wonderful benefits that we're giving, and not even, I mean, to corporations, but primarily to large ones, to monopolistic ones, and not to small ones, not to, not to little ones that are driving, you know, most of the economic growth already in our state, but right. to these big ones that oftentimes aren't even promising more jobs. They might be shipping them somewhere else, but, you know, they get the tax benefits, so. Right, and, and, and you know, and while we're talking about how how it's more expensive to be poor than it is to, to not be poor. My, my state rep, the, the representative that I'm running against Curtis Trent, 
um, here in Springfield, we have been working on the city council, working at to the city council for years to try to get them to pass um, some regulations on um, payday lenders and predatory lenders. We finally got them unanimously to pass legislation at the state, at the city level to um, put a, a yearly fee on, on these predatory lenders. It's a $5,000 a year fee. Um, the very same day, my state rep, Curtis Trent, snuck in to the, uh, the very last day of uh, the state uh, session, snuck in a bill to prevent any city or local government from imposing any kinds of fees or fines on predatory lenders. Yeah. So with that, I mean, you can pay 400% interest on one of these predatory loans. And Steve Pokin, who is a local investigative reporter, did a story on it. Um, basically, for a $1,200 loan paid off a term, it was going to cost him $2,400. Mm. So, I mean, that just speaks volumes about how these how these lenders work and how this representative works. He, it's it's pro business, not pro people. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's some of these particular ones. Um, you know, we we're seeing the same. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of these these companies not only are they you know it, it, it would be one thing to charge all that interest which i think is already ridiculous because it's just bad right and, and you don't have to do that there are other places um that still make sure you can get access to money uh and they still charge interest but it's nowhere close to to being that high so you don't need to do that um and, but but two a lot of these companies aren't up front with you, right? They're, one, they're taking advantage of people who are really in need of money. Um, right. I know a lot of people who've been trapped in these things. And, and then two, it's not like they're, they're, they're very, oh, here's all these additional fees that you're also going to pay that we're not telling you about. There's a lot of stuff that isn't really spoken about. And it's a very big consumer protection issue in our state. We've actually been talking to some uh, groups about doing one of these town halls on that, um, just on predatory lending in Missouri. But I mean, you even look at, at our current attorney general, he has taken money from directly from corporations uh, that are all predatory lenders, all of them. And they charge hundreds and hundreds of percentage points in, in interest um, and are just here to take advantage of folks. And it's sad to see them, you know, one, do it to a state rep and then two, do it to the, the person who is supposed to be protecting consumers in the state of Missouri from predatory lenders. And, uh, yeah, it's the, the money that's moving into our politics, unfortunately, is, is really damaging what our democracy is supposed to be. So, yeah, I agree. It's a very, it's a very big issue. Um, you had, I know that there was, oh, let's do it. Let's go in order. We've got Dr. Engelhardt on here. He's been waiting so hard. All right. I'm going to put him on the broadcast. Here we go. All right. Do you have any thoughts? on the role unions play in protecting staff who have a history of misconduct. Uh, and he's talking about mental health, corrections, and police departments where he has seen uh, issues. That's an uh, interesting topic. Uh, earlier today, we had a town hall with uh, the president of the Ethical Society of Police, which is a police union, historically black police union, due to segregation issues in St. Louis City and representation issues that still go on today. 
um, and she is a uh, homicide detective in St. Louis. And uh, ooh, she let it rip because her view is that your union is not serving anybody unless uh, they are rooting out bad folks, especially when it comes to policing or if it comes to law enforcement or public service in general, um, was very pro-transparency. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, I, we talk a lot about, you know, I'm a supporter of, of unions and, and labor, and I'm very fortunate to have uh, support in this race from uh, a few of these organizations already, which is, which is great. Um, and, and for me, you know, I've been on picket lines and strikes, and I, I really feel very strongly that organized uh, workers have pushed our country so much further in making sure that we are protecting workers in the workplace. Now, we've drawn back a lot from that, but we need to, you know, we, we still have at least the foundation of that in the history of doing that. And I think we're, we're moving towards that direction again. But yeah, you know, um, I'd love to get your view too, but, but my, my view is that unions that are, are protecting uh, employees that are bad, that, are, that are, are, are drawing down everybody else's reputation around them, that is not helping the union. It's not helping uh, uh, their employees because that's not the only employee you've got. You've got all these other ones who are there too. And just look at what's happening in policing right now. And it's certainly when it comes to public service is not helping the public, which is supposed to be the point of all of this. Absolutely. I, I too am a strong, have, you know, I'm, I'm a strong union supporter. They have laid the groundwork for every benefit that we have as, as, um, either, you know, whether you're an hourly employee or a salaried employee, you know, they've, they've done the work to make all of these, uh, you know, work, workers' rights laws for us. That being said, um, <laughs> with policing, um, I, 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 I truly feel that policing has become a different job from what it had and what it should be, what it was intended to be. Um, their job isn't to patrol. Their job isn't to stop risk. Their job isn't to you know, put people in jail for uh, drug, you know, people with addiction issues shouldn't be in right. jail. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting point. Um, I, don't think, I don't think a lot of people know this, but in our prison system, and so I, when I was an assistant attorney general, um, I worked a lot with the Department of Corrections and actually even after – I get a lot of letters from folks around the state, and uh, uh, some of them are incarcerated. Um, was actually invited. I, I'm so bummed this one didn't happen. It was invited. There's a local NAACP branch in uh, Moberly, which is a correctional facility. Uh, it's a town, but there is a correctional facility in the town. Moberly, wonderful town. I love it. Uh, it is not just that. Uh, there's community college. It's very lovely there. But I was going to go, um, and obviously we can't now because of the virus and concerns, which is a big deal in corrections right now, too. Um, but they had invited me to come and speak about, uh, the candidacy. So, um, certainly going to send some material and information about it. Uh, they can't vote because they're, you know, they don't have the right to vote while they're there. Um, but you know, it's, it's, or until they're off of probation. Correct. Yes. While, the, while they're there. Right. And we just had somebody we were just talking to in the state because we're texting a whole lot of folks right now. It, once you are off of papers, 
off of probation parole, you can vote again. Um, and I know that that message sometimes does, is not very clear in our exit strategy once you leave prison. Um, and that's something that we really need to fix. I've been talking a lot about DOC and uh, uh, some of the reforms that we need there for reentry and making sure folks are coming back into society. Most folks come back in. But one of the interesting statistics, and this is from our state uh, our, our state government looking at folks. Folks, there, there is a – of the people who are in prison in Missouri, it is over 90 percent have some kind of an issue with substance abuse, 90 percent, which is an astronomical number. And if you think about just like what, what you were saying uh, when you – I mean one of that is because this is where policing has gone. This is where policy has gone. It's not necessarily the fault of – a police officer is being told by somebody in D.C. or Jefferson City to go lock these people up because um, right. that, that becomes, well, I guess that's my job now. Um, but because we haven't treated this as the public health emergency that it really is, um, and we've just said, oh, well, you know, police, you go deal with this problem that we don't have any plans for. Corrections, you go deal with this problem. And, uh, and, and here we are. Here we are locking people up who uh, instead they could be getting treatment. Uh, we don't have Medicaid expansion. We could do that so we could increase access to treatment. And folks who could be out and with families and, and helping folks and working and contributing to the economy and our lives and society and everything, instead we're just warehousing them. And right. uh, yeah, I think, I think you're told, I mean, it's a, a very big issue right now for our state. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 incredibly defeating. Um, I mean, I was happy when we passed a uh, a statewide law regarding. Oh my gosh, what was it? Um, oh my gosh, it was so long ago, yeah. like a year ago. Um, <laughs> it feels like everything's taken forever now. Yeah, oh, it's a whole thing. It's like, woo! Yeah. Um, about um, nonviolent criminals being locked up and not being able to afford bail money. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Um, so we had we had bail some bail reform. I mean, it's not you know extreme bail reform, but that was a uh, initially it was a Supreme Court uh, rule uh, to pro. It was the idea is to prevent folks from being locked up, especially pre-trial, uh, waiting for their case right. just because they don't have money which happens right. quite often. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yes. I, I, I know people who have sat in jail for a year and a half because they didn't have bail money. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so yeah, yeah. we need massive criminal justice reform. Um, we need better policing. We need, uh, and I, I know like we have, we have massive issues in the St. Louis area, but, and I, and I know that, so there was a st- statistic that 90% of people who get uh, pulled over are, are people of color oh, yeah. when the, per, like, the population of Missouri is only like 30% black people. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, uh, and, the vehicle, the vehicle stops report, um, which, mm-hmm. yeah, I could talk forever about that vehicle stops report comes out every year. It's from the attorney. Jo- I highly encourage you all to read it and to look at the statistics. Um, it showed that it wasn't quite like 90% of all the people who were pulled over. It was, it was, um, when you look at, at people who are being pulled over, the comparison was who is more likely to be pulled over, right? Like what are the percentages and, and everything else? 
um, it, it showed that black drivers in Missouri are between 87 and 94 percent more likely to be pulled over than their white counterparts. They're more likely to be pulled over. They're more likely to be arrested, but they are less likely to have contraband during those stops. And that is not the first time that this has happened. It's not the second time. That is the 20th year, the 20th, 20th row that we have had that problem, the 20th year. And that, pl- that, that, that release, which is so frustrating, it came out just a few days after George Floyd was murdered. It came out on a Friday afternoon. It came out without any press or any big, you know, big acknowledgement of we've got some problems in our state. Not even that. All it came out was with a little release that said, oh, we're going to change some of the data measures next year and no plan whatsoever from the attorney general's office about what we're going to do about it. 20th year in a row. And if that doesn't tell you something about what's going on here, um, I don't know what will, but yeah, that's a significant data point to say the least. Yeah, um, yeah, we did have a follow up from uh, Dr. Engelhart. I'm going to put that on here too because he makes a very good point, and then we'll get some some other folks too. It's not just unions, which I also support. Also, the administration that doesn't do the work to advocate for those in their care because they are underfunded and understaffed too. And I think so often, just like what we've been discussing, when you look at uh, our public institutions, we have not invested in them. We haven't invested in them. We haven't invested in our communities and the people and the services that folks need. Instead, we are allocating those resources elsewhere. And oftentimes, that elsewhere is to protect or to draw in or to support whatever it is, folks with a whole lot of money already. And that's why they still get to keep all of their money. I mean, that's, that's what they want. So they get a lobbyist to do that for them, and then they pay a big check to have somebody elected that's going to help them out. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think we're, we're seeing big problems in, in, uh, um, you know, the supports that, that so many folks, cause there are a lot of folks in public service who are trying to do this for the right reasons. If you look at a department of corrections, some of the lowest paid folks in, in state government, some of them get less than $20,000 per year to work in, in a, in a corrections in our state. Um, and we've got a lot of issues where we've kind of like, Oh, let's just keep cutting back, cutting back, cutting back without fixing a lot of the root causes. And here we are again where everything blows up because we just do not have the resources to deal with it because we've refused to deal with it. And instead we've, we've really catered to those already with a whole lot of money and power. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, public right. service is important. Please get involved. <laughs> yeah. Very important. Um, you had a, a question came in, I think it was from Sabrina, you were talking about healthcare, so I'm going to get that up on here too. Uh, talk about the hideous high rate of maternal and infant mortality because of those oh, hospital closures. Thank you for your hard work putting Medicaid on the ballot, and I, I thank you for that as well. So, thank you. Um, yeah, um, state, state Rep. Uh, Sarah Unsicker had a bill that she presented three years in a row, and it finally did pass this year to actually investigate why we have such a high rate of maternal. Uh, and infant mortality, and especially among the black community in the, in the state of Missouri. Um, that has passed, and she's gotten some funding. Uh, she, that happened um, this, this, uh, this session. So I applaud her for doing that, that work to, to take care of women and uh, people with uteruses and 
to figure out what's going on. Mm. Um, a lot of it does have to do with the lack of access to um, healthcare in rural areas. A lot of it has to do with being uh, believed as a woman. Uh, when when you have healthcare issues, you're this may sound silly, but you're more often likely to be dismissed of your healthcare concerns if you're a female than you are if you're a male. Um, and that's and that's uh, far more so if you're a person of color. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, one of the first hospitals to be closed down in the state of Missouri because of the lack of Medicaid money coming in was down in Pemiscot County, and it is the um, lowest income county in the state of Missouri. Uh, so now anybody down in that area who had a hospital to go to has to travel an hour in order to, to, to visit a hospital hospital. Um, uh, you know, we need, um, we need, um, more, more, um, nurse practitioners to be able to provide full scope health care, um, because they're just as doctors are, but, um, the state of Missouri hasn't passed legislation to allow for that to happen yet. Um, but it has come up and it needs to happen, um, especially one more time for rural communities where you don't have access to a doctor, you know, it, within an hour's drive. Um, Medicaid expansion, you know, this goes this goes into also, you know, with the whole COVID-19 crisis, having lost 14 um, hospitals in the state of Missouri, not only did we lose those hospitals, but we also lost the hospital staff and we lost the beds, we lost the respirators, we lost the equipment. So, you know, we have been incredibly fortunate to have been, um, to have not seen the massive spread like some other communities have had, but had it gotten out of hand, and we needed those facilities and those, you know, pieces of equipment and the PPE. This could have been a, a disaster for the state of Missouri. So um, I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate that that didn't happen. But um, we're not prepared for a disaster like this, it, you know, if it were to happen. And and we've seen two of our um, rural um, cities been that were hit pretty hard uh, with factories, um, animal processing factories that uh, lots of sickness, lots of illness. And thankfully those people were able to get help, but you know, we weren't prepared. We're not prepared. And, and we have to expand Medicaid. Mm. Yeah. Vote August 4th, everybody. August 4th. If you're not putting in your calendar right now, I don't know what you're watching. Because we've mentioned it a few times, put it. Uh, you know, let's. So we're coming close to the end here, but let me. Um, we got we got a question. I think we can we can make a hopeful one. At least I look at it and I see the hope in it. So this is from Elliot. Elliot says, "How do we get through to people who have given up on state government in both parties?" I mean, when I talk to folks, um, I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't talk about parties. I don't want to talk about parties. I want to talk about policy and I want to talk about what matters to them. What, what things would you most like to see happen for your community, your, 
your district, the state of Missouri, what things are, would most impact your family and your well-being? Um, and I, I think a lot of, you know, our representation is kind of, you know, either they got into it for the wrong reasons or, um, you know, once you've been elected for a little bit, you kind of forget why you were doing it in the first place. Um, and, and I think, you know, maybe some people lose their way. And I, and I think mostly we say that at the federal level, not so much at, at statewide or, or, you know, local government, but, um, I don't know. I, I, I personally, I'm, I'm a progressive Democrat. I don't, I don't want any money from corporations. I don't want any dark money. I don't want dark pack money. I don't want, uh, you know, a giant check from somebody that I, that I don't know. Um, I, my campaign is run strictly on small donations from regular people that, you know, if I haven't met you, typically it's going to be a $20 check, but my reason for running is to represent that person that sent me a check for $20. And I, mm-hmm. um, I, I want to know what they need and I want to represent those needs. Yeah. Uh, what a, you know, what a corporation needs. Well, I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, anti big business. I'm not, you know, I, I understand how many works, but I have a lot more compassion for people than I do for, um, corporations where CEOs have gotten wealthy and, you know, are hiding money in offshore accounts and building their wealth off of the backs of lowly paid employees. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if that if that's how you gain your wealth, then you need to be getting back, and and that's the end of the story. You need to be paying back into the infrastructure that got you where you were. You need to be paying back into the labor force that got you where you were. You need to be paying back into the education system that got you where you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, we had a we had a guest on on Saturday. Man, the days are just going. Uh, <laughs> he's an author, uh, uh, Chris Arnotti. And he wrote a book called Dignity. Um, let's get you know, it was making the rounds, and then the virus hit, so he couldn't really talk to us. So he came on my you know my call, and uh, he he actually traveled, and he told me, God, it was an astronomical number, four hundred thousand miles in the country, all across. And he actually came to Missouri. He came to um, a town that uh, you may be familiar with, Mountain Grove. Um, ain't too far. It's in the it's in the southern area of the state. And he stopped there, and, and he decided to stop. He was picking where he would stop based on where there were McDonald's and Walmarts, and that's where he would stop. Um, and he would sit there, and he would eventually talk to folks. And he talked to a lot of people who had disengaged from uh, the political system. They weren't voting anymore, and I asked him that question. And for him, uh, what he saw, and this is something that I've seen too, having traveled all over the state now quite a few times before all this, is... Uh, why? Why? Why would they get involved? Why, when when government has screwed them over so much, would they then say, "Oh, you know what? I think is a great. I, I'm going to spend my time uh, helping somebody uh, who's running for off some politician, or even spending the time to vote." Why would I do that? Uh, you know, I've encountered quite a few people, including in Springfield. When I first came uh, on the campaign trail, there was a a bartender who was, I was in the bar and I was talking and he was listening and he eventually looked over and he, he asked somebody across the bar and he said, who is that guy? And they said, Oh, you know, his, his name is a lot. He's running for attorney general. And, uh, 
I ended up talking to him for a good like 15 minutes after I was done. He does not vote. And he is now going to vote in this election. And not only like looking at me, he's looking at like candidates in his district. He's looking at Springfield. He's like, wow. Because I think I think the biggest problem is for folks, we 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 are we are a hopeful people in America. We are willing to 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 move past things. We are willing to forgive if we see something is there and it's you know, there's some glimmer of hope that it's going to work. And I think the problem that we've had is that far too many folks have not shown up, especially in communities that we have ignored and neglected for a long time, like Pemiscot County that you mentioned, which is the highest poverty rate in the, in the state. Um, we need to show up. And I think that we have candidates now who are actually doing that, um, which is great, having been involved for, for a while in this state and having not seen that effort. Uh, it's really great to see folks uh, like you who are going out there and who are frustrated by the fact that you can't knock doors right now because you know what that means. And you're there because you want, you want to be there for the right reasons. And I think folks see that. And when they see you show up, even if they might disagree with you on some things, um, they know that you're straightforward with them. You're honest. You're willing to come on here and answer whatever question comes up. And heck, I mean, I might disagree with her on this one thing, but she's going to be there. And I know I can trust what she's telling me, what she's going to do. And I think it, it, it's obviously a process and one that we have to rebuild trust with folks in all these different things, all these different institutions. But uh, it's, I feel, uh, and in answer to Elliot's question, I feel like the answer is really showing up, uh, working on behalf of the folks and being transparent about what we're doing. And I think that's the way to rebuild uh, community in our state. Right, right. Communicate with people. Yeah. Um, be available. Um, I, you know, I worked with a friend of mine who lives in the Kansas city area when she was stressing out about her unemployment, you know, she, she works in restaurants and while I, I don't have the capacity or the tools to get her what she needs, I got her in touch with her state representative and her state representative called her and she got her paychecks. Um, you know, I, right. I, I, I do my best everything that I can do to help anybody that needs anything. Um, I am a normal person. I live paycheck to paycheck. I didn't go to college to be a politician and I, I didn't even go to a real college. I went to Batterot. So, and it's defined, you know, it's, mm. it's at us now. So um, I'm a regular person. And I think that we need a lot more regular people as elected officials who understand uh, what it's like to, to live paycheck to paycheck and to maybe once in a while, I've taken payday loans, um, you know, to, you know, worry about what if I, you know, what if I need an oil change, not an oil change, but like, you know, what if I need a break job and, you know, it's just not in the budget. Um, I think we need people that have compassion and care about one another. And I really, truly feel like we all have so much more in common than we think that we do, but our media and our social media is so filled with distractions and separation that, you know, we, we think that we'll never be able to see eye to eye. And we really do. And I know that from knocking on doors and talking to people and from calling people on the phone and talking to them about different issues that they're concerned about. Um, we're all humans and we really all do care about each other. I think we just, you know, kind of lose sight of that and, you know, life's busy, life's hard, but 
we have to lean on each other and, and watch out for each other. Beautiful. I agree. This is great. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you doing the town hall. Um, that's her website right there in the middle. In case you didn't know it, I just snuck in the middle again. Uh, check out, check out Cindy. She's, she's doing great work and, um, uh, goodness, you just need to take everything you just said there and make that a video on your own. Hey, look, we got a clip for you. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you're so right. And, and we need folks who, who, um, understand what people are going through, uh, because we need folks voices at the table who get it and who are, they, they just, they understand what this means, like what, what stakes there are for, for themselves, for families, for so many folks throughout Missouri. And it would be, it would be nice to have folks in our legislature who get it. So thank you for running. Thank you. Yeah. For running. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I'm doing that thing too. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes I, I forget. To be my next attorney, attorney general. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes, you know, you're just sitting up here and you can't, you can't like listening and it's like, oh man, that person's great. Like you just totally forget. So, uh, you gave me a moment. So thanks. Thanks for joining us on the Alad pod. You can participate in future town halls and see all of our past ones at aladgross.live. You can reach me there too, and I'd love to hear your ideas. For now, this is Alad Gross, and I'll see you on the next Alad Pod.